preached on God's house, and it's a very interesting, very revealing study from the Word of the Lord. If we'd like to turn this morning to 1 Timothy 3.15, we'd like to use these scriptures for our, uh, uh, for our uh, launching again. We've been moving from these scriptures each, uh, each week, 1 Timothy 3.15. And I'd like for uh, somebody perhaps in this section in a loud, clear voice would like to read that for us as we open this morning. Someone like to do that for us? Uh, uh, Lee. And then I'd like someone to get for us Hebrews 3, 1 through 6. Someone over here would like to get that for us. John, if you'd like to get that for us. While they're locating those, we want to uh, lock your minds back in. We did not get uh, finished at all with what we were talking about last week. And I wonder as we uh, start out again if we could have our five key words. Somebody like to give us our five key words of the study of God's house. Uh, Sister Richardson. Okay, we have the house. Okay. The household. All right. The householder. All right. The servant or the house servant, okay, the what, and the steward, okay, we have those five words or key words that unlock our study on the house of God. By way of review, can someone tell us what the house has to do with, what house, what do we mean when you say house? Anyone over here, raise your hand, uh, Victor? The physical building, but in the concept, it is more than that, isn't it? And what is it in the concept? Okay, it encompasses the household, and that's the people that are in the house. Okay. And, uh, and uh, then the householder, what does that have to do with? That's the owner or the ruler of the house. Okay, and then the servant is just that, the one who serves in the household, and then the steward is what? He's the manager, the overseer, uh, the uh, administrator, okay? And so those are the, uh, the key words that bring that to our understanding. It's important that you have that locked in your mind. Once you understand that, whole passages of Scripture begin to open to you in a whole new light. And so we know that what God is doing right now is, is, is doing what? What's he doing right now? Uh, Morgan? He's building his house. And so we know that that's not a physical house. That has nothing to do with the four-square church, does it? It has nothing to do with this physical building. What does it have to do, uh, Morgan? What is the Church of God? Baptist? Assembly of God? All those who are redeemed by the blood of Christ. Like who? Like people. Okay, us. Okay. See, we talk in such general terms that we never communicate at all because we just assume everybody knows what we're talking about. Very good. Uh, Mike. The question is, is this a structure just for Israel or is this a general custom in Bible times? You're talking about the concept 
of the rich householder that the structure of the house is this way. This was throughout Bible, Bible times. This is an oriental structure. Matter of fact, it still exists in many places today, but it's totally foreign to American mentality and experience. We don't know what servants are. We don't, we don't know what stewards are. We don't, uh, we don't have any of those concepts that we can work from, but this was common in Bible days, and, and, and it was a part of society, and this was especially true in Israel, but it wasn't common to Israel alone, or it wasn't peculiar to Israel alone. Good question. Anybody else before we move on to something else? We studied last week concerning a word. That word is L-A-O-S, the laos. What does that mean, anyway? The laos. Cindy, the people. The word laos means people. And so what does that have to do with what we're studying? The people of God. Okay, that's what we're locked in on last week. Now, what about these strange creatures that keep cropping up in Scripture, these uh, critters named Gentiles? What are, where does that fit into all of this? Dwayne? Who are these awful people uh, known as the Gentiles, anyway? Anywhere. Okay. That's, yes, that's true. There could be more. Uh, Rob? Okay, those outside the covenant people of God, that would have been in, uh, as it had to do with Israel as God's people and, uh, and the revelation, wasn't it? Well, how would that fit in today? Excellent. That's exactly what it is. The Gentiles today are those people who are not inside of God's grace and the people, uh, as a matter of fact, that much of the professing Christian world isn't really interested in. Hello? Who would they be, for instance, Bill Bancroft? Yeah, the Gentiles of today, who would they be? Okay, that's true, but as a concept, we really honed in on that last week. Who would they be? Anybody we know? <laughs> Jeff Day. Minorities? Okay, minorities would be one, uh, or the ethnic groups is, uh, is, uh, is uh, generally... Ethnic groups aren't really catered to in Western Christianity, right? Okay, just in missions. Uh, Dick? Social outcasts, that's exactly what they are. They're the people that don't fit neatly into the pattern of, uh, of our society. They don't fit comfortably into the structure of our society. Mark Hamilton? Exactly. Okay, excellent. You, you locked in onto that. Okay, but then we discovered last week, and we want to we pursue this a little bit further. I want someone to get for me uh, Luke one twenty five through 32. So would someone like to get that for us? Uh, 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 Mike, uh, Luke one twenty five through 32. And uh, what we discovered last week, and we ended on this because we did not have time to finish, that God... In prophecy, prophesied a revolution 
And that revolution had to do with the fact that the people who were the Gentiles, these are people outside of God's covenant people, the people who were not of the bloodline of Abraham, prophesied to become now the people of God. Now, this is a revolutionary concept. As I said last week, by the time Jesus comes on the scene, Gentiles are only good to feed the fires of hell. If you are not of Abraham's bloodline, you have no claim on God. And yet these people were filled with pride. They were filled with religion. They were filled with self-righteousness. They were non-productive. They were disobedient to God. They were, they were caught up in a religious letter, uh, keeping religious uh, systems and, and uh, dress and code and washings and, and concepts, but they were as dead as a, as a chicken on Sunday. There was no life of any kind, and by the time Jesus came on the scene, they totally lost the entire concept that God was trying to convey to the world. And so uh, there's a revolution prophesied, and that revolution prophesied they did not grasp at all and I want to declare to you this morning that most of the professing Christian church does still don't grasp and will not obey and is not doing what God said that we're to do. The only reason that we have a revival in this church is not because we're four-square gospel. It is not because we uh, locate on the right side of town. It's not because uh, that uh, we raise our hands when we praise God. It's because... We did what God wanted to do. We reached unto the Gentiles of our society. The dropouts, the castaways, the drug addicts, the hippies, the dopers, the immoral people. And as they began to respond to the gospel by the hundreds, we had a revival on our hands and we reached into the Gentiles. And, and this is why we have a revival. And across town, there are churches of all kinds that they just completely bypass and they, they don't like us today. Did you hear me? Because they think that there's nothing over here but a bunch of drug addicts and hippies and dropouts and, and thinks. That's all they think. Oh, they go to church over here. Now, they've never been here, but they know that that's true because they've heard that. Okay. Let's read this, Luke 1, 25 through 32. I gave you the wrong scripture, dear brother. I'm sorry. I'm wanting two. Luke 2, 25 through 32. Small scribal error. Luke 2, 25 through 32. Would you start over again for us? Through 32. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, verse 30, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Simeon comes in by the Holy Ghost, picks up uh, the 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 word of the Lord, and as he begins to speak, he begins to speak, and as he speaks, he speaks the word of God and says that this one, this Jesus of Nazareth, very son of the living God, 
is one that is going to be a light for all peoples, salvation for all peoples, a light to lighten the Gentiles, and uh, that he's going to be the glory of the people of Israel. And so from the very opening, uh, God begins to emphasize that this is a, be to a revolution. The Gentiles are to see the light of God. Acts 15, 12 through 18. I want somebody over in a side section, over very quickly. Acts 15, Mark Hamilton. Acts 15, 12 through 18. I want Acts 22, 20 and 21. Someone in this section here. Uh, Dan Atherton, Acts 22, 20 and 21. I need another one. Someone lift your hand. Uh, Joe Calloway, Acts 28, 28. Here's a revolution now. Here are people that have been so, uh, so steeped in religious tradition and uh, in, uh, in false concepts of what God wanted to do and was doing in the earth that they missed entirely what God was doing while they had the letter or the frame or the words of salvation. They did not have the life of salvation, and so they completely missed what it was that God wanted to do, and, uh, and we see this uh, was the entire objective of God, and here this revolution bypasses them. Acts 15, 12. Hey, did you ever hear? Did you ever hear about Rip Van Winkle, the man that slept 20 years? The 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 folk tale about him. He slept through the entire revolution. And when he wakes up 20 years later, he doesn't even recognize the world he's in. This is what happened to those who professed to be the people of God, but were not indeed the people of God, but simply had the words and the framework of the people of God without the life of God and without the salvation of God. Acts 15, 12 through 18. This is an astounding thing. They're bringing a report, and they come back, and they're, they're, they're astounded. They're just overwhelmed. They've done some crusades down in Mexico and the Philippines. And God's doing fantastic works among these peoples uh, that, uh, that are just really not really very religious people. Okay, go ahead. Okay, they're reaching into prophecy now. And that God's working among the Gentiles, and this is in line with prophetic declaration that God's desire is to take out of the Gentiles a people for his name. Now, a people for his name. What, what are we talking about? We talked about this layoff. God's building this house, this people. Now, suddenly, this is no longer going to be the Jew, the seed of Abraham, but a whole revolutionary concept that I, out of the Gentiles are going to be the Laos, a people for his name. I mean, this is a mind-blower. Go ahead. He reaches back into the prophecy that we studied a couple of weeks ago. That, that God speaks to David. David said, I'm going to build you a house. God said, you're going to build me a house. I'm going to build you a house. And, he be, and then David is overwhelmed. He goes in and sets in the sanctuary, and he's overwhelmed and said, Lord, you've spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come. And now they're reaching back into that to show that this fits in with the prophets, tie that into, and it has to do with the Gentile prophecy. Go ahead. That the residue of men might seek after the Lord. Underline that residue. We're going to come back to that later. 
and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called. In other words, this is the prophecy that what God's going to do now, this people are going to be uh, uh, the Gentiles, and this is who God's going to make his people, and his name's going to be called upon them. And he said, man, this is happening today. This is prophecy alive. Hallelujah. God is pouring out his spirit. And they said, we've seen this prophecy become alive. The Gentiles are getting saved and healed by the multitude. Okay. Is that all of it, Mark? Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. Okay, this is a thrilling report, and they're bringing back to the church in Jerusalem. Acts 22, 20 and 21. Okay, Paul is standing on the steps. Uh, the mob is, uh, is about to overwhelm him. He's gone into the temple. They, they think that he's taken a Gentile into the temple. And uh, there's a riot. The Roman uh, uh, leader comes and takes him. And while he's up on the step, he says, Wait a minute, I want to make a little speech here. And he starts to preach. He starts to preach. And when he starts preaching, he gets to this place, giving his testimony about what God's done in his life. And then he says, This word came to me and says, I'll, unto the Gentiles, I'll send you. And if you'll read the next verse now, Dan. Yeah, 20, 22. They listened to him until here. Said, kill this dude. Who ever heard of God sending anybody to the Gentiles? Said, we're going to kill this guy. We're not going to let him live. He's preaching to the Gentiles, and uh, this guy's not fit to even be on the face. Can you imagine that now? Can you grasp that? Are you getting a feeling of what I'm talking about? I want to tell you that that is not too far removed from the Church of Jesus Christ professing in 1980. The whole Salvation Army movement came out of uh, William Booth taking alcoholics into church, and the Church of England threw him out. Said, get out of here. We don't want these people in this place. And the whole Salvation Army was born out of that movement. So we won't have them. Don't you bring those drunks in here to our church and defile these people's smell. Oh, glory. I could get anointed right there, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to... We're going to try to get through with the study. Acts 28, 28. Paul has been ministering. He's... Uh, He's, uh, he's in uh, uh, trying to deal with the, the, the physical uh, people of God or the physical descendants of Abraham. They're not listening to him as a whole. They're rejecting him. And so he said, okay, I'm not wasting my time anymore. Now I'm going to go to the Gentiles, for they are going to hear it. Okay, now, let's, let's do a little recap here because we, uh, we got carried away last week and didn't finish, and we really would like to, to move this along that the gospel desired free access to all people of all nations. Now, we know this because of all the scriptures that we read last week. We moved this along, and we began to move it on into the new, and we saw that this is not anything that was strange. It only was strange because people did not want to accept what God was doing. But his purpose was that all nations... Now, this word nations is ethnoi. All nations 
would receive or have free access, and that they were to be God's laos. All nations were to be God's laos, or people. That's exactly what the prophets declared, and what the gospel of Jesus Christ, in fact, did bring to pass. Okay, is there any question right at that point? Do we have any? Uh, Dan? They, they had privileges. They could be God's people. They came in just like any other people. But, but the problem was is the people who were God's people did not evangelize them. That was the problem. No, they were God's people. They were brought in. Yes, Ryan? Yes? He was, a, he, he was out of Ur of the Chaldees. Yes. Mark? The residue are the people... Uh, we're going to get to that in a little bit. The residue, the people that are left, that's what it actually means. It, it's, the same, it's, it's the same word as remnant. It's the same. Uh, the residue that's used in Acts 17 is the same word that's used in Romans 9, the remnant. And that's a people out of a people. We're going to get to that in a little bit. We don't want to get sidetracked yet on that. Because that's actually what is happening and what happens today. And that's actually what God's doing today, taking a people out of a people. All people who call, call themselves Christian are not, in fact, Christians. And that is, that's even without debate. We don't even have to debate about that. We know that because many of you uh, came uh, through religious systems that uh, was Christian by name and were sprinkled and et cetera, et cetera. But you weren't saved. You got saved when you got and heard the gospel. I saw one hand back here. Sorry. Gordon? Well... Uh, because uh, Scripture is opened by revelation. And uh, revelation only comes to an open, a willing, and an obedient heart. And uh, uh, we have to do the will of God to know the will of God. And so uh, this, is, uh, this is true right now. You can talk to people today about being born again. You can talk to people right today about the second coming of Jesus. And it'll laugh you to scorn. <laughs> don't, don't hand me that stuff. And yet, to you and I, we know it's a reality. We've experienced it, and we see it operating. We see what's coming down the world today. Jesus is coming. And so great masses of professing Christians have no concept and reject totally what you and I receive as common experience. So why don't they? Because of their own blindness, of their own hearts. Uh, Dan. Right. This is a Christian seminary, so-called, in, in name. Right. You blind uh, scribes and Pharisees, you, uh, you whitewash the graves of the, uh, of the fathers, and, uh, and, uh, and you yourself are, uh, are just exactly like them. You're full of dead men's bones. You're exactly like them. You've taken the key of knowledge uh, yourself. You're not entering in. You've taken it so others can't enter in. 
That's what Jesus said of his generation. Job? There's always been the residue of the remnant. And, uh, and uh, Hezekiah in Josiah's day, in Jesus' day, it was Simeon, it was Anna, it was Joseph, uh, it, was, it was Mary, it was uh, Zacharias, it was Elizabeth, it was the, the apostles, it was the little flock. There always has been a group that did evangelize, but uh, by and large, uh, no. Sister Penn. Tender. You can proselyte what? Well, it's the same problem we have today. It's the letter without the spirit. In other words, they put their trust in being the seed of Abraham. And, uh, and, and Romans and Galatians both deal with that. That you're the seed of Abraham, but they're not all Israel, which are of Israel. But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. It's the miracle birth, not the natural seed. Yeah, it tells them, but, you know, this, it's telling and listening two different things. How many people hear a sermon uh, from this uh, congregation and go and do just exactly the opposite? Never hear it. Rob? Possibly. I have a picture uh, that uh, I got from one of the brothers that uh, I'm going to put on the back bulletin board for you. It's an excellent shot of a crusade held in August of this year in Korea. There's 2.4 million people in one crowd. The largest crowd ever assembled on earth. Previously was the Billy Graham crusade. Uh, several years ago, 1.1 million. Over 2 million people. Several hundred thousand each night answering the altar call. Over a million people staying each night all night long praying after the crusade. That's happening today. This is the third world that will receive evangelism. This is what our business and our call is, and we cannot ignore that. There also is an article I have. Billy Graham just held several crusades in many cities in Japan. Now, this was World Evangelization Crusade, this particular picture. Uh, where Billy Graham just preached in uh, Japan, several cities. Uh, one city, Osaka, Osaka, Japan. The police had to shut the gate at uh, Nisi Stadium when 29,000 tried to get into a stadium that seated 25,500, the largest crowd ever assembled in that city and the largest crowd ever assembled in that stadium. It even outdrew baseball. <laughs> now, this has just happened, Okay. And so what we're having and what we're seeing is that there is a segment of the church that is obeying God. It doesn't have to do with any particular denomination. It hasn't to do with any particular religious organization. But people of all true Christian segments are obeying and are going into the world to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. As I said before, the reason this congregation 
has revival is because we did go outside the four walls, and when that stops, you can write finish to it. Because God's purpose is the unreached, and that's exactly what they are. Jeff Brown. Right. Keep Jesus nice and sterile and clean and dignified inside four walls, but do not take him outside on the parks or in the streets because that runs cost green to our dignified culture. But I want to tell you something that uh, in the, the reason you're getting that is because this is a religionized exactly in the last hundred years. 50% of all world evangelization has come from the United States of America. Since the 50s, 70% has come from the United States of America. But you and I know that that's a very small segment that's come from. Okay, I don't want to get bogged. Let's, uh, let's move on before we lose this. Uh, we're talking about God's house. We're talking about God's people. So the household of God then is made up of the house folk, isn't it, who are the laos of God, and these are the royal priesthood. We want to lock in on that as God's house folk, as the royal priesthood. Now, we want to bring you to grips with a thought as, this, as, we, come, uh, as we come into this, and that thought is a good old clergy laity term, okay? Immediately, you're going to recognize this word on the right. The word on the right has to do with what's known as just common people. That's what you are. Right? That's what I am, too. But the Christian church is locked into a mentality that issues from Rome. That mentality is the clergy laity mentality. Now, to get a feeling of this and what that really means, we have to give you a definition. And this is an error, incidentally. This, is, this whole thing is an error. It is not the Word of God. And you'll not find it in the New Testament at all. It's not the principle of God's house. This is not a part of God's house. This, is, this was constructed by man, came principally out of the Church of Rome. To understand that, you have to understand what clergy is. Clergy is a system of thought in religion that only a certain class of men know enough to mediate and to interpret the Bible. Okay. The clergy mentality, there's a certain class of men. This class of men is a, is a priest class. This class of men are the only ones that can mediate. In it is the, is the thought that, uh, this is a $40 word, sacerdotal. This word uh, has to do with the, with the thought that we're talking about, and this relates to the priest class. In other words, this is, the, this is the sacramental. These people have the ability to minister sacraments, and this relates to a priest class that is in direct opposition to what we've just learned about the laity. And from this comes the clerical collar, from this comes the clerical robes, from this comes the priestly mentality or the clergy mentality that only this group of people are able to teach, only they can interpret the Bible, 
Only they can serve sacraments. Only they can administer and preach the Word of God. And so this is a special group of people that are, that are separate from this group of people, and it has to do with these religious uh, activities of mediation, administering, baptizing, and this is the greatest curse that ever came to the Church of Jesus Christ is that mentality. Stopped the move of God. It stopped what God wanted to do. It locked. If you're a student of church history, you'll find out that men were burned at the stake because they dared to cross this line. This is what the whole Reformation was about. And, uh, and people were burned at the stake by the scores and murdered by the, the thousands because of this very mentality right here. Men who tried to interpret the Scriptures out of the Latin and bring them into the common language of the people, men like Wycliffe, men like John Bunyan, men who were in the early churches, uh, suffered, were jailed, many of them paid with their lives because they wanted to interpret the Scriptures into the common language of the people so that God's people could know and understand and obey the Scriptures and administer them. Clergy, laity. Okay? But we find in the, in the New Testament church that when Stephen was stoned and the church was scattered everywhere, they went everywhere preaching the Word of God. That's what the book of Acts says. And they didn't have any better sense to go up into Antioch and begin to preach the Gentiles. Are you listening? Who responded to the gospel, got saved, and Antioch replaced Jerusalem as the center of world evangelism. Because these people, the laity, God's people, began to act like God's people and began to move into the priestly function which they indeed had given to them by the Word of God because the Scripture says that every believer belongs to and is a part of the priesthood of God. Dan Atherton. Absolutely. Woo and wound. Woo them to themselves, wound them emotionally so that they cannot function apart from them. This does not mean, and we'll get to that, this doesn't mean that God doesn't have ministry. He does have ministry. But it is not the purpose of that ministry to become the clergy. And the very thing that we have gained and in, in why we have tremendous blessing is that we have brought these people to ministry. Every believer a priest and a minister. Out of that has come the tremendous lay movement that we have lay priests. See, they call all of our pastors lay pastors. That's what they are. Thank God. Are you following along with me now, or is your mind locking into this? Okay, uh, Mark Hamilton. Real loud, brother. They're not qualified. Right, they're just slugs off the street. Exactly. Exactly. See, the, the 20 that were there are the, were the remnant out of that church. That was the core. That's the only real believers he had in that church. Out of the 120. I can tell you that. This is why in all of our congregation, you'll look on Sunday morning, there's a one, and the Sunday, Sunday night, there's a large one. Wednesday night, there's a large one. Is because... Uh, that uh, that, that uh, the majority of our congregations are believers. But he's always looking for some expert to come in from outside with special training to bring because the people in his congregation aren't qualified. 
But you see, that's the very thing that has hamstrung the church and uh, has ruined it. Sister Joyce. They're terrified. Right? They cannot grasp how people could be qualified for ministry who have not gone to a Bible school, and yet, try as you may, you'll never defend. You cannot justify Bible school out of the Bible. Ooh. Oh, try that on for size. You cannot justify it. You might justify it by rationalization and reason, but you won't find it in the Word of God. You will not find it there. This most astounding thing that comes to you is when that finally dawns on you, it is not there. Every great move of God has been a laity, what they called a laity revival, when the people of God rose up and began to do the ministry. The Wesley revival, the Reformation, all, and every one of them were killed by the exact opposite. They began to train their people and make them qualified. And that, that doesn't mean that we should not be educated. It doesn't mean we should not be trained. But the formal classroom instruction is not the means or not the method to bring them to that. Now, I don't want to quit. I'm going to come back on this. But I want to go through the believers all priesthood and we're going to come back. I want First Peter 2.9 over here in this section. Mark Hamilton, I want First Peter 2.5 in the center section. Dale Copeland, I want Revelation 1, 5, and 6. Jerry uh, Miller. Okay, here we I want thir Hebrews 13, 10 through 16. Somebody else. Uh, Denny. Uh, so we want to talk about this morning the priesthood or the all believers uh, priesthood. This is, the, this is what brought the Reformation that shook uh, the Church of Rome to its very roots and from which uh, uh, the, the blessing of God began to pour out upon the world. First Peter 2.9, all believers of priesthood. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Peter just simply writing to believers, and that's what he writes to, and he says, You're a priesthood, a royal priesthood. First Peter two five. You are a holy priesthood, and God intends that you will offer up spiritual sacrifices which are acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Revelations 1, 5, and 6. And has made us kings and priests, and literally that's translated a kingdom of priests. That's really what that translates out. And so we have then a kingdom of priests. Hebrews 13, 10 through 16 moves this on into, as did the scripture that Dale read, 1 Peter 2, 5, into the, into the church concept or the New Testament concept uh, in the Hebrews 13, 10 through 16. For we have an altar. We studied that in a long series of studies. And so here, what do we do? By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks unto his name. So now we have, a, as a priest nation then, we're talking about, again, the laos of God. As a priest nation then, God has called you and I and placed us in the midst of the earth. As he's placed us in the midst of the earth, we're to serve as priestly instruments in saving other people. Now... 
to lock into the thought of stewards of God's house then, our responsibility as the stewards of God's house are to administer salvation and bring other people salvation as we minister the gospel of Jesus Christ. So then we've locked in on the Christian congregation as the house of God. And this congregation has as God's stewards in a mission. Don't forget how Israel missed God. How did they miss God? They, they thought that, that this was something that was to be kept in to a special elite class of people. This mission is the same as it's been in all generations. To reach out over the ecclesiastical boundaries, over the religious, over the clergy boundaries, over the structures that, and the barriers that man puts, reaching out over that to the people that are outside of God and to make these people the people of God unto the ends of the world, unto the end of time. And this is what the, 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 the function of the house of God is. Now, we do understand that this priesthood understanding is not a license to anarchy. Are you still with me? Not a license to anarchy. We say, well, praise God. I'm just, uh, it's just a do-it-yourself religion. It's like, a, it's like a TV dinner. You just get it and you do it yourself because it violates every principle that we understand as far as the house, the living stone, the assembly, the ecclesia, the church. And so uh, uh, as we read the New Testament then, we begin to see this principle begin to work out in the little flock that Jesus had. 120 are filled with the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost. There's 500 that saw the risen Lord, but there aren't large numbers. But they soon begin to minister, don't they? And then we see as men are brought, 3,000, then 5,000, then churches begin to multiply and believers that there becomes a progression then. There's a progression of the people of God that move from these who Jesus has ordained, who are apostolic or foundational, the prophetic, whose ministry also is foundational, but their ministry is an added facet, and that is to tear down so that it can be built again. There's a progression that comes, and then up out of this, this, this mass of Laos, the people of God, God begins to raise up then. There's a progression then there's a, he begins to raise up, then there's a recognition of those that God's raising up, and then there's a confirmation, and so large numbers necessitated the setting of a structure in place, and so we have uh, the five-fold ministry of Ephesians set into place and becomes the pattern of the church of Jesus Christ by which it is to grow and continue to develop. So now, let's lock this down. When Christians are thought of as God's house then, the emphasis is on their being gathered together after biblical structure and after biblical pattern as the people of God. We've got about uh, four or five minutes for some questions that will lock down on this. Remember, we started out talking about the people of God, and we moved in through the remnant, and now we're moving into the people of God as God begins to shape them and form them as the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, Sister Mayotte. Yes, and as we studied, uh, her question is, wasn't there a concept of individual households who would receive wayfarers or people who wanted to join themselves to that household? This is true, 
And as we moved into the, uh, into the study uh, along a little, we found out that the, the entire ecclesia of the church is structured on families, didn't we? That the church is no stronger than the families that are in that church. And that the whole church is structured after the family, and as a matter of fact, is but a conglomerate of the many families that are a part of the church. That's exactly true. And, uh, and so uh, uh, this concept moves in there. Uh, uh, Jeff Brown. No, that's you. Can't you bring somebody to Jesus? What are you ministering then? You're ministering God's grace. Amen? You're witnessing, you're bringing conviction, and uh, as the Holy Spirit uh, works with you and confirms the Word, then you have the ability to bring people to Jesus Christ. That's exactly what the priesthood of all believers are and every believer. See, it blows people's mind when they come in, and I, I, I've baptized people for so many years, I can't even remember how long. You know, why doesn't Pastor Mitchell baptize people? Because it, uh, anybody can baptize people. It, it's, a, it's a church function. We understand that it has to do with the assembly. It's for real believers, and it's to be done in an assembly in front of believers, primarily. But uh, I don't have any special goodies to give people when they get baptized. I don't have any more to give them than you have. I have my place. I'm the chairman of the congregation, but I simply am doing my office, and, and, uh, and my part is no more important than your part is. I saw a hand right here. Uh, Chuck Richardson. And that's what you read in the New Testament, isn't it? In the book of Acts. You see that in action. It spread like wildfire. Okay? Uh, I could. He, ha he was a clergyman. That's right. Ike says when he began to lead people on the streets, the pastor of the church he was in became upset and he didn't feel they had the right to do that and uh, that he wasn't in favor of them doing that. And so that tells us what he was. He was a clergyman. Exactly what he was. And that's totally foreign to the New Testament concept. Very good question. Someone else. We've got about two more minutes. Uh, Mark. It's very difficult to break that through because people have the, have the idea that only the pastor is going to be held responsible. See, only the pastor has to be here in services. You don't have to be here because you're just poor laymen. That's the mentality. But I, 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 I declare to you that uh, you in, are in God's house and you have stewardship and God will hold you just as accountable for being here as he will me. Rochelle? Get him to a preacher, amen, so he can run them. <laughs> That's true. That's the mentality. And so uh, thank God. Now, this is privilege. We're talking about privilege. It is also great responsibility because we, as the house of God and stewards in the house of God, 
He always holds stewards accountable. Next week, we're going to continue on. The Lord bless you.